You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Welcome to National Hispanic Heritage Month here on the podcast, a month-long celebration of Hispanic artists. And today, we start off with Jaime Lozano, a musical theater composer from Mexico who studied at NYU's Tisch School for the Arts. There, he not only learned about musical theater writing, but also about himself. I'm learning every single day how to be better because I didn't grow up knowing what, what was diversity, you know? It's weird because I, here I'm like, like part of that. I'm different, but I didn't know that I was different until I get here. Welcome to Why I'll Never Make It, featuring conversations with fellow artists about the realities of life in the arts, all while challenging the notion of what it means to make it in this business. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, and for more information on the podcast and to sign up for the monthly Win Me newsletter, go to whyillnevermakeit.com. These next few weeks are going to be a great chance to highlight some amazing Hispanic artists, ranging from composers and dancers to actors and singers. In addition to these interviews, I'll be showcasing important figures in Hispanic history when it comes to the arts. It'll be a chance for you and I to learn about the wonderful artists that have made such an impact not only in Hispanic communities, but to our nation as a whole. Also during these episodes, I'll be highlighting certain facts and details about Hispanic Heritage Month. And to start off, let's go back to the beginning and how this month came to be. It actually began as a commemorative week when it was first introduced in June of 1968 by California Congressman George E. Brown. The push to recognize the contributions of the Latino community had gained momentum throughout the 1960s, when the civil rights movement was at its peak and there was a growing awareness of the United States' multicultural identities. Brown, who represented East Los Angeles and a large portion of the San Gabriel Valley, both heavily populated by members of the Hispanic and Latino communities, he wanted to recognize the role played by those communities throughout American history. And so, President Lyndon B. Johnson issued the first Hispanic Heritage Week presidential proclamation on September 17, 1968. Twenty years later, in 1987, U.S. Representative Esteban E. Torres, also from California, proposed expanding the observance to cover its current 31-day period. The following year, in 1988, Senator Paul Simon of Illinois submitted a similar bill that successfully passed Congress and was signed into law by President Ronald Reagan. But it wasn't until the following year, on September 14, 1989, when the new president, George H.W. Bush, became the first president to declare the 31-day period from September 15th to October 15th as National Hispanic Heritage Month. Interestingly enough, Bush had actually been a sponsor of the original Hispanic Heritage Week resolution while serving in the House in 1968. Now, Hispanic Heritage Month is the only national month to start mid-month. Why is that? 
Well, it starts September 15th to mark the independence anniversary of five countries, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala. It is followed by Mexico's Independence Day on September 16th and Chile's on September 18th. Now, another important date that falls within this 31-day period is Dia de la Raza, which is celebrated on October 12th and coincides with Columbus Day here in the U.S. Now, this day was originally conceived as a celebration of Hispanic influence in the Americas. But Dia de la Raza has also come to be seen as a counter to Columbus Day. In Mexico specifically, Dia de la Raza was an initiative of Jose Vasconcelos, who was serving as Mexico's Secretary of Education in 1925 when he wrote the work La Raza Cosmica, or The Cosmic Race. This was an essay promoting the commemoration of Hispanic peoples on October 12th. And it is in Mexico that we begin with my first conversation with Jaime Lozano, a native of Monterey. As a composer, his works have been produced off-Broadway as well as regionally here in the U.S. and internationally in France, Germany, England, and, of course, his home country of Mexico. Jaime is also known as an arranger, music director, and orchestrator, and he's also adapted, produced, and directed the Spanish world premiere of Jason Robert Brown's The Last Five Years in 2006 and Songs for a New World in 2005. And it was around this time that Jaime came to New York to study at NYU's Tisch School for the Arts. Now, you've heard me talk about my association with the Graduate Musical Theater Writing Program there and the wonderful new works I've had the privilege to be a part of. And Jaime himself holds a distinction in that program as well. What I learned when I was, when I got into NYU, that I was the first Mexican accepted into that program. And I was, I think, like the third or fourth Latino in that program. And maybe after me, there has been like another, like, I don't know, like four or five Latinos, maybe. So there's not too many Latinos in that program. Now, the Tisch Department of Graduate Musical Theater Writing offers composers and writers a chance to work on their craft, the art of collaboration, rewriting, storytelling, and developing their own unique original voice. And it was the chance to learn these five attributes or skill sets that brought Jaime to New York City for the first time. Yeah, actually, it's thanks to that program that I'm here in New York City now. I arrived the first time in uh, 2006. Yeah, I was like 20, 28, 29 years old. And that was my first time in New York City. When I came to investigate about the program, I came... At that time, I'm going to be very honest with you, uh, I didn't speak any English. I was able to read pretty well. I, I, I read a lot. But in my city, I never had the chance to actually speak to each other, to other people in English. So when I arrived here in 2006 um, and went to the program, I was really afraid. I was really afraid. And I remember a friend came with me and there was a student at that time. Uh, and I remember that he told me, the most important thing here is collaboration and being able to communicate. But that, not, that doesn't mean necessarily that you have to speak perfect English. 
We have people here from Korea. We have people from Italy, from uh, China, from all around the world. And many of them don't speak like perfect English. So you need to find a way to just to make you understand, right? So I started my application and I was accepted uh, for the applicant weekend. There were hundreds of applications and they selected like 40 something. We came to the applicant weekend. I The applicant weekend was like a kind of, um, like a little taste of how the program was supposed to be. So we got on Friday and they paired us with another collaborator. Of course, my collaborator, my collaborator just speak English. It was someone from Florida. And by Sunday, I mean, two days after, that was Friday, by Sunday, we needed to present uh, a song. So I remember that we wrote a song actually in Spanglish. He wrote English lyrics, and I wrote Spanish lyrics to the song and the music, of course. And after that, um, I mean, I received the email that I was accepted, but I went back to Mexico, and I thought that that was it because you know, education here in the States is really, really expensive. And to be honest, I didn't have the money, I mean, for, for a program like that. And suddenly I received a letter that they gave me, gave me a full tuition scholarship for NYU. And thanks to that full tuition scholarship is that I'm here in New York City. I mean, that's the only reason because without that, I wouldn't be able to, I mean, to came to the program and to stay here. So I am really grateful with, I mean, NYU was one of the best experiences I have had in my whole life uh, because it just shaped my, the way that I see everything. Just was like a, like a mind changer. Uh, I mean, they don't teach you how to write musicals. I mean, you, when you came here, you, you're actually, you are kind of a writer already. I mean, you, you know how to write music, you know how to write words, blah, blah, blah. But what they teach you is how to collaborate. I think that's the key in musical theater, right. collaboration. And that was, that was something that in our Latin culture is not too common to, I mean, we are like a very machista, you know, like, a, like our culture is, is, is very different. And we don't hear very often the word collaboration in, in, in my country. We are like, we want to do everything by ourselves. I mean, we want to be the best. And oh, it, we have this, this we, we used to say, if I don't do it, it's not going to be right. I need to do it by myself because I don't trust someone else to do it. Because I need to do it by myself. We used to say that in Mexico. I mean, a lot of people say that. And then here I learned that it's not about that. It's, it's completely, completely the opposite. It's... You need to learn to delegate, to trust in each other. And thanks to that trust is that an amazing product came, you know? Because what Tish does is they bring together the composer, the lyricist, a director, a music director, and then these various actors like myself. In bringing together all that, did that solidify or did that help you in focusing that story you know since you were able to kind of I guess bounce off so many other people yeah definitely I remember at the beginning I didn't want to rewrite for example I don't like rewriting so I remember that I mean I have this critic critic or something that uh, a teacher or classmate that oh maybe this could work better in this way blah 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 whatever 
and and I have problems with, but I like it this way. But I so I have to learn during the process to disconnect that. It's not what about I like. Of course, I have to like what I do, but I need to find a way to also be clear, to be entertaining. I mean, to, to reach different goals, not just mm-hmm. the, the only goal is not that I have to like what I do. You know, there, there's many other goals and many other things that you need to achieve, like clarity, like uh, like be entertaining, but like tell a story, blah blah blah. So at the beginning, I I I had a lot of problems, like like with rewriting and changing things, and of course all these process. I have the program is two years. I mean, you, you have to write the first the first year, you have to write with a different partner, like every every week or every two weeks. And the second year, you have just one partner for the whole year, and you write your thesis. That, um, so when they when they brought the directors and the performers, and you learn that people can see what you do in different ways, that for me was like magic. You know, like oh, I never thought about that. And you are, I mean, what I did with my music is giving you like. It's triggering like another idea that I didn't have when I actually composed or write this. I mean, it opened my mind, like knowing that I need to be able to use all those different ideas from all these people around me to make my music better, you know? And and that's how musical theater works. I mean, you have all these collaborators. I mean, you have director, choreographer, orchestrator, arranger, uh, it's like many many collaborators and they have voice i mean they 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 need something from you and they need something from the story so you have to be very open and to learn to okay how can i be a less like egocentric you know like right. i need to be very humble and it's not about that i i want this song to be the best song it's not that I want this song to be the best music. I I need this song to tell a story and to have a purpose. Yeah, it's that combination that we all have to be confident in our abilities, certainly, but at the same time be giving and be able to give and take with other people. Yeah, you have to learn to compromise. And 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 I say, I mean, every collab- every collaboration is, is like a marriage, like a, like I've been married with someone. Uh, sometimes you have to divorce. After a couple of months or a couple of days, yeah, I mean, it doesn't mean that any single collaboration is going to work out. So, you during the process, you learn what kind of people you collaborate better with, mm, right. and then you have to make your decisions. Another problem that I had at that time, and even still now, I don't know how to say no. So, when someone asks me, Ah, do, do you want to write music for this, or do you want to do this? Yes, 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 and then I have like a 20, 50 projects or songs, and and I rely to read the process that I know I'm not being able to collaborate in a good way with that person, but I didn't take the time to learn that before. Right. So it's, it's I mean now I think I, I'm doing better with that, and, and I'm trying to to just take a few projects and not not just say yes to everything and every single person that asks, but. Yeah, it, it was it was that was another thing that that I, I was struggling at that time a lot. 
Was that difficult for you to be able to delegate part of the song or this part of the lyric for that collaboration when you first started? Yeah, it was it was difficult because I I wasn't used to do that. I mean, in Mexico, I, I was I was I used to do everything actually. I, I direct, I translate, I write music, I write lyrics. I sometimes I design the lighting. I design. I mean, because because we don't have an industry in Mexico. Like in most in my city, uh, there's not like a like a lot of professional musical theater. Mm. So I started doing musical theater just by myself, just putting by myself, putting a group of people together, you know, like a knocking doors. Like, okay, I'm doing this. I need this. I need your support. And I mean, I I just, I was a producer as well. So I I learned how to get money from different companies, and I have. So I have to put everything together. Well, it sounds like you got quite an education in and of yourself, just learning all those different facets of the business. Definitely, that that was very helpful before I got here. I mean, because I already knew like a little bit about everything. But it's it like when you try to do everything, you don't focus on one thing. So right. obviously, everything was not at the best level. You know, it was... Maybe it was okay, something not even okay, <laughs> because I was trying to do everything. And and I learned here that that wasn't the right way. I mean, that you need to have the best person do it, doing every single thing, you know? I think that's the key. Mm-hmm. And that's why musical theater is this big industry in, in the States. I mean, in Mexico, we don't have that culture about collaboration, not even in the Latin, in any Latino country. It, we are very hard about collaboration. It, it's like like... We, we kind of try to not collaborate too much, actually. Do you think that that's uh, part of the reason why you say it's not as big of an industry in Mexico specifically because people are trying to do it all on their own and so that they, they can only reach so far? Definitely. Definitely. That's one of the reasons. Uh, and, and I think collaboration is not only key in musical theater. I mean, it's, it's actually a very important part in every single, like, profession you know not right. just musical theater like even like as a politician as a lawyer as a, uh, but that was something that I learned being here in, in New York City uh, and at, at the beginning was it was harder because it was collaboration in a language that I didn't speak mm-hmm. so uh, every single day after after classes I remember that I had this terrible headache because I mean, they were speaking in English the whole time, and I guess I, I was just catching like maybe twenty percent of what they were saying. Yeah. So every week, I asked one of the of the faculty, "Can we sit and talk about what what happened during the whole week?" And then I sat with this with this uh, teacher, Fred Carr was his his name. I sat with Fred. And then we we talk about the week and about every single assignment, but in a like in a slower way. And I remember also that I I used to ask to all my collaborators, you know what? Send me an email. Okay, yeah, yeah. Send me. I didn't want to talk with. I mean, of course, I I talk <laughs> with them, and sometimes I, to be honest, I didn't understand them, and I was just like nodding, you know. Oh yeah, yes, 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 yes. So send me an an email with everything we talk, please. <laughs> And thanks to the email, everything was clear <laughs> to me. Because, of course, when I was reading, I, I, I was able to understand everything. And the worst thing is that when they suddenly I, I had to, I do work study at, at, uh, at my school. So I have to work in the office. And one of the things 
still today, one of the things that I hate the most is talking by phone with someone in English. Uh. You know, that's really hard for me because I, 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 I'm not seeing the other person, you know, so I'm not able to see like his, her lips or his facial reactions or, you know, so it's even harder for me to really understand. It was. Now, now it's, oh, I, bet. Yeah. I think I'm doing a little bit better <laughs> after uh, almost. That was 2007. So 13 years, right? 13 years after I got a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> so besides obviously your English getting better, as you say, did your work as a composer and a writer also improve during that time? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Because before I, as, as I told you, I mean, I was just thinking like and on everything, like in, in directing and all that. And when I was at school, I just want, I just have one, one very simple and at the same time, very hard assignment that it was to write music and to tell a story. That was it. So the, what they, as I told you, they, they, they teach you how to collaborate and how to tell stories through music. So I already knew how to write music and how to compose, but it's not the same. You know, there's a lot of like a great like pop composers or folk composers that then they ask them to write musical theater and it's, it's another monster. It's another animal. It's very different. Not because you have the best, you have the number, the top one billboard song. That doesn't mean that you're going to write a good musical theater song. Right. So definitely uh, learning from all my classmates at the time, because everyone has a different uh, background. They came from different cities, from different countries. So we have like a very different ideas. So trying, in this case, putting two or three people together to tell the same story when all these three people came from different backgrounds, different ideas. So. The, the first uh, the first goal is how are we gonna tell the same story right and not the the lyrics person trying to tell one story and the music person trying to tell another story no no we have to tell the same story so the story could, can be clear you no know? and definitely my clarity improves a lot during that time there, there's this I'm used to say um, less is more. To be honest, I'm more in the more side. I'm very complicated with my music. <laughs> I, I have a lot of problems trying to simplify when I'm when I'm writing. So uh, my music has been kind of complex all the time. Yeah, as a singer in that program, I've definitely seen that, that some composers are are very good, as you say. Maybe they're better at a pop melody, so it's a very simple melody. It's easy for a singer to get, and then you'll have composers where. The, the the chords are all over the place the, the melody kind of goes here there bounces and then the accompaniment may be something slightly different that doesn't help the singer and so I've been on both sides of those kind of composers yeah but definitely collaborating with other people has helped a lot so I can bring that complexity down a little bit you know And when it comes to complexity, there are few things more dense and confusing than the immigration system here in the U.S. And it has certainly been a hot-button issue going back many years, in fact decades. 
The U.S. is the world's leader when it comes to immigrants. We have more immigrants living in the United States than any other country has immigrants alone. We also have a very extensive and complex immigration system. That was Mark Hugo Lopez, Director of Global Migration and Demography Research at the Pew Research Center in Washington, D.C., highlighting the fact that while it may be a complex system, it is still vitally important to the growth of this country. And Jaime came face to face with this system as he began the visa process to stay here in the U.S. I came to NYU, then I applied for my artist visa, and my lawyer wasn't a scam. Uh. And I lost all my money, and they denied me the visa. I went back to Mexico, and I had to stay there like from 2011. And I came back in 2015 with my wife. I mean, I I went to Mexico after NYU because I lost my visa, and I I met my wife there. She's all, now my wife. Then we came for our honeymoon. We were supposed to be here from December 7, 2015 to January 7, 2016. And in January 5th, I told her, and what if we stay? And we don't go back to Mexico. And we have already our apartment and everything in Mexico City. And we decided to stay just like that. Hmm. And a few days later, a, a very good friend, Alex Lacamoire, called me. I have a project for you. I need your help. Are you going to be in New York City? Of course, I'm going to be in New York City. And I went to, to the Richard Royer Theater, and, and he told me, okay, I need you to do orchestrations with me for this, for this show called Carmen La Cubana. It's going to premiere in Paris as well. And he told me, okay, do you know how to work in Finale, right? I didn't. I, I, just only, I, I, I used to work just in Sibelius. Is that the, another music software? And I told him, yeah, of course, I know Finale. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so when I, I say yes... And I started learning about right. finale you like right away, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> exactly. It, 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 it sounds like a lot of things that have come your way have been you saying yes and then figuring out how to make that yes happen. Yeah, like almost everything in my life has been that way. And because I say yes, I'm here. I mean, thanks to that kid with Alex, I was able to stay in New York City and to apply now for my artist visa. Uh, and now we got the visa, like, and... In 2016, I mean, a few years ago, and uh, and from then, I mean, I have been still working with Alex in different projects and with different people, and it's just about saying, I mean, I I'm just like that, just I just say yes, and then I figure out how to do it. Yeah, I was taken by your your bio when I went to your website and just the list of of projects that you've worked on, the people that you've worked with. So I can definitely see that you tend to say yes to a lot of different things. And you've gone back to Mexico a lot. You've done work here in New York. One of the ones that had a special connection with me is that you went to Birmingham, Alabama, my hometown. And that was commissioning a new work, correct? Yeah, that was a very special project because it was this university, the University of Alabama in Birmingham. They were developing a new musical, but they were actually doing like a like a big production production of that musical. We we were developing the musical for a couple of years. I, I flew down there like every six months to have like a reading with the students, and then at at the end of those couple of years, they did this. Actually, it looks like a Broadway production. I mean, right with sets and costumes. It was like a we have a like a, I did orchestrations for a thirteen pieces orchestra. 
I mean, it was like like a huge, huge project. Uh, I mean, I know that there's a lot of universities that they develop new musicals, but they do uh, like, like stage readings or productions in a black box, you know. And it right. was like a like a like a big project. Um, I'm very proud of that project. Actually, we're still working. We're rewriting right now and trying to get that story um, to more places. Now, I assume with the two years you said that you were kind of working on that, did the actors that were in the piece, did they change as students came and went from the university? Some of them changed, but you know, I mean, the program, I guess the program was like four years, maybe like a, like a regular bachelor, it's four years. So most of the students were the same during the process. Yeah. And uh, I was really surprised. I mean, the students were a very, uh, they were a key part in the process. And we got like a like a great feedback from the students um, about how to to write the show. I mean, it was really really helpful. So in that one, they really were a part of that collaboration and writing the piece in the direction that it took. Yeah, exactly. For example, the first readings, they were reading the scenes, but my collaborator and myself we used to sing the songs. So they read, and when when we jump into a song and they were singing, and at the end of the reading, like like in a table reading, they start just like giving feedback and, and jumping with ideas, you know? And I mean, some of them may be crazy, another one like like a great idea. And, and that was great for them because we had, I mean, a couple of, of table readings with them. So they were learning as we go that we were rewriting the show. Mm-hmm. Some, sometimes an actor doesn't realize that, you know, don't realize that, that it, they think that the show is done and that's it. But when you are in the process writing a show during the two years and these students are reading a different draft of the script with different songs every few months. So they were like really understanding the process of creating a musical. I come to tell you a story, to answer a question, to take inventory, to breathe life into a name that was almost erased To face the truth that we haven't yet faced And so I assume that collaboration that, that you were learning through Tish really came whenever you were um, in Birmingham working on that piece. Yeah, definitely. I mean, everything that I learned that I know about collaboration and, and uh, musical theater, I mean, not everything, but... M- many of what I am as a, as a writer, as a musical theater writer, is thanks to, I mean, to that program. And uh, my collaborator, actually, for that project in Birmingham, he was in Tish as well. Mm. Uh, Tommy Newman, he's an amazing writer, one of the, my favorite writers. Um, and we, we actually wrote another show a few years before, in 2011. We did a, an off-Broadway show for Theater World USA called uh, The Yellow Grid Road, was, was a Latin adaptation of The Wither of Us. Yeah, we did that show together. And thanks to that show, he actually called me, do you want to write another show with me? And then I went to Alabama and we, we wrote that show together. And of course you said yes. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, but with him, I, I'm not able to say no to him. Because, I mean, it's just, it's one of the most amazing experiences to collaborate with sometimes with him. I mean, he's amazing. That's wonderful. Now, with you being in Birmingham and, you know, I was raised in the South, 
the South certainly has a certain, uh, I guess, history, an unfortunate history when it comes to discrimination. Did you see any of that while you were there in Birmingham? Uh, not really, because I didn't have like a many contact with, I mean, outside the, the campus. But let me tell you, this musical that we actually developed in Birmingham is a story, it's an African-American story. So um, that I was really um, shocked by the fact that I started learning about Alabama culture that you say that unfortunately they, there's these people that doesn't understand we need to be grateful for all the diversity and all that, right? I mean, right. Um, and uh, this, I mean, that university was, was doing a great effort to bring this story to this place. I mean, it was a, a story, I think a hard story for a city of, I mean, for a, for a community like, like Birmingham and like Alabama. But I, did, I think the show did great and the people was really grateful to see the story on stage. And we, we got great feedback. I mean, um, I didn't see anything like weird in, in that in that way. Yeah, that's good. And do you know what this thing about diversity? It is also also something new for me as well. I didn't learn about diversity till I got to New York City. Mm. I'm originally from a city uh, there when there's no diversity at all. It's, it's, it's all Mexican. There, there's very, exactly. there's very I mean, little uh, from outside countries, correct? Yeah, yeah. So I didn't know what was to be in a subway train with people all colors and accents. And, you know, uh, that was like, like, a huge, like a huge change for me when I came to New York City. And I'm still there. Even I, I'm, I'm a diverse person. I mean, I, because I'm an immigrant here. Sometimes I don't know how to deal with that. I'm learning every single day about everything that is going on. Uh, like, like right now, I mean, with all these the movement, the Black Lives Matter and uh, feminists. And uh, I mean, with all that, I'm learning every single day how to be better because I didn't grow up like knowing what, what was diversity, mm. you know? It, it, it's weird because I, here I'm like, like part of that, I'm different but I didn't know that I was different till I get here. Right, right. Because, yeah, because in in your hometown, in your home country, you were one of the many. Yeah, exactly. Speaking to that, a lot of your work has been going back to Mexico because once once you came to New York, you you got the education, you started writing with other people, collaborating, as you said, but then you would go back to Mexico. What did you take from your experiences and what you've learned here in New York what did you take back with you to Mexico? In Mexico and in my hometown city, I'm originally from Monterrey. Monterrey, Mexico is a city in the north of Mexico. Actually, it's like four hours driving from Texas. It's not that far from the, from the border. Uh, because we don't have a lot of musical theater. So one of my goals as an artist has been to find a way to give back to my community. I mean, to my original community. I mean, now my community is also that here in New York City, I mean, the musical theater community, the immigrant community, but my first community is, is the, the place where I grew up and that's um, Monterrey. So during the last three or four years, I have been able to premiere a different uh, new musical in Spanish in my hometown. Oh, wow. Uh, wow. That was a project that I was doing like every single like May, June, I was going to Monterrey and premiere a new musical. 
uh, and also uh, doing like workshops and master classes for actors and for writers uh, and for actually many of the people who came to my workshop they don't really are actors maybe they are people like they have another professions but they like acting you know and they do like a hobby so what I tell them doing this workshop that this doesn't mean that you're gonna be an actor but maybe you're gonna be a better audience because of this mm-hmm. because you're learning how to what is the process as an actor you know all that so uh, it's one of my I, I just need to give back to, to, to my city, to my community, to my country, uh, because even I'm doing a living here in New York City, and I'm very grateful with, with New York City and with this community, uh, I need to be able to never forget where I came from. So I think it's important never lose that connection and always find different ways to give back. What would you say is one of the best examples or stories of you going and being able to give back to your hometown? Oh, I have I have had the chance to work with all kinds of people. I mean, from a teenager, 12 years old girl in a city named Chihuahua, that when she starts singing, she seemed like the best Broadway performer. You know, it's like, I couldn't believe that the amazing voice that that girl had. It was like, a, like, like unbelievable. Uh, and working with people like uh, 60, 70 years old, that one of their passions were to sing, but they have never been able to do it because they work in a office, because they have a business, blah, blah, blah. And it's now when they are like 60 years old, they don't need to take care of, of their sons, of their daughters, that they are more free, that they start actually singing and acting. So giving, having the chance to be in the same room with a 60 years old woman, being completely honest and vulnerable and trying to tell a story through a song is one of the most amazing experiences I have mm. because it's just a different perspective. It's, it's just like you know, being completely honest, not thinking about technique, not thinking about the song, not just being themselves with a passion about singing and about communicating and telling a story. I mean, that my, my mostly in Mexico, a lot of people sing. I mean, I know a lot of people that have great voices. And my my um, my goal there when I go. Is not le- is not teach them how to sing. It's more about the storytelling part, right? You know. So then, going one year after, and seeing the same person now, like a really open, being more secure about herself, you know, knowing better what what she's doing, singing and acting and telling a story, being very confident. When at one year before. Maybe she was a little bit, you know, like a timid and she didn't want to sing. So it's amazing what what art can do with all kinds of people. And as if Jaime wasn't busy enough, he has also translated works into Spanish, including his own, like Lightning Strikes Twice and a song cycle called Never Ending Line. It's a song cycle about a female experience. And I had the honor to collaborate with nine different female lyricists. So imagine um, 
I mean, it was a great experience for me learning from all these different female leaderships from all different backgrounds and ages. I mean, like a very different between themselves. So every song was a different story. I mean, it was like a different take in, in, in that female experience. Originally, the show on stage is just four actresses singing all these songs. Every song is a different, a different woman's story. Uh, but for the album, we, we decided to invite as many, many, many performers as we can. Me despierto en la mañana, tomo el café Y suena fuerte el despertador A Neverending Line first premiered in France, and then it went to Mexico, and then finally it came here to New York City. So it has certainly had quite a journey from its small beginnings. Look, that show, we wrote that show in 2016. We actually premiered in 2017. Uh, I had this show at the New York Musical Festival called Children of Salt. And, and my music director at that time was from, um, uh, from France, an amazing musical theater director uh, named Geraldine Anello. So um, she had this connection with a, with a company in Paris and they want me to do a concert of my songs. And then I, I told them, what if instead of doing a concert of my song, we just create a new show? It it sounds it sounds like that's what you do. Whatever is yeah. the simplest way. No, Jaime wants to do the hardest way. Exactly. My wife hates me because of that. Because I always say, "Oh, I have a new idea." Wait, wait, wait. But we're still working on all these other ideas. But that's the only way to do it. I mean, for example, I mean, we went to Paris to premiere the show because it's actually a company that they tried to take like a. American Musical Theater to Paris. Okay. So it, it was in English. Um, uh, and of course, they put us like, like in an apartment and that, but we have to pay our flight and all that. And I remember I told my wife, I'm going to say yes. And then I didn't have money to pay the rent. And I decided to buy the ticket, the flight tickets, instead of paying the rent. <laughs> because I said, we need to go there. And we, so I, I bought the ticket. And a couple of days before, I, 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 after, sorry, a couple of days after I find a way to, to get the money to pay the rent. So I paid the rent, but we had the ticket. So we went to Paris. We have a great, um, a good reception. Uh, then I premiered the show in Mexico in Spanish. It, it was one of the shows that I just told you that I used to go like every year to premiere a new show. Right. We did it in Spanish. Uh, and then and, I and decided, you did the translation yourself, correct? I did a translation with my wife. Yeah, yeah, okay. with my wife. We, we, we work together in many, many ways. She's an actress, an amazing actress and singer and director. So we, we collaborate a lot. I mean, it's very hard because we are, we are at home and we don't know where is the border now between collaborating as artists or as, you know, husband and wife, you know. It's like, it's very right. tricky. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, so we did the translation, we did a show in Spanish, and then I got this crazy idea. Oh, you know, we already have the, the songs in English and in Spanish. We should do a double album in English and in Spanish. So we, I started like, looking for as many singers as possible, and we did this amazing this like, double album. So you did each song twice in English and in Spanish. Exactly. In English, we have like amazing Broadway performers like Betsy Walls, Daphne Rubin Vega, Ariel Jacobs, uh, 
uh, Emily Skeggs, uh, Natalie Wise, like uh, the best female musical theater performers that I know. Um, and in Spanish, we, we got like the best musical theater, Mexican musical theater performers. Uh, and then after doing it in Mexico, we came to New York City and we did it off Broadway, but it was kind of a self-production. I mean, I, I, I got some producers, uh, I produced by myself as well. I was putting everything together with my wife. The experience was amazing, but we did a show during the summer in a theater in the Greenwich Village. So there was no audience, mm. you know, because during the summer, all New Yorkers are out and tourists doesn't want to go down there. I mean, tourists go to Broadway, they don't go to a Broadway. Right. So we really struggled to find a, to find um, an audience and we have to end the run earlier. Mm. And I, I had producers from Mexico that they were putting the money and suddenly they stopped putting the money. And then I have all the people, you know, like above me, like, and I have to like decide to pay by myself all the like all the debt that I have with all with the actresses and all that. It was like a really, really hard. Oh, wow. Because I mean, suddenly the producers, I mean, I didn't get more money from the producers. And we have to stop the run. And the actress said, Yeah, we will stop the run, but but what about the money? You know, you know, and they were like asking for what they deserve. And I was trying to what I'm gonna do. I mean, I don't have any money either. <laughs> I mean, I, I already lose like a lot of money. What am I gonna do? And and just I just found a way like to asking for money here and there and putting money together and maybe like eating a little bit less and, and I pay one actress and pay another one and you know and just it, it was hard because at that time it is I mean no one has money. <laughs> it, it was really, really hard. I mean, we have a, like a problem at, at at home because we were paying other people and we didn't have money for us. It was it was like a hard hard stage, hard phase. Um, that was the summer of two thousand seventeen. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? Uh, everything happened for a reason, and um, we did the amazing album with amazing performers. That is actually. Uh, the album is a benefit to an amazing female or women organization also called Maestra, Maestra Music. Yes, I've, I've had Georgia Stitt on the show, and she got to talk about that wonderful organization. Yeah, she's the best, and that organization is, is like, amazing. Uh, so I wanted to be an ally uh, and find a way uh, to do something, to do something to, to, to help, I mean, in, in, in any way that I can. Uh, so we decided to, because all the people involved in the album, they donated their time and talent, all these amazing Broadway performance, uh, performers and Mexican performers. So uh, I, I talked with Gloria and she was really nice and she wrote actually the liner note for the album. And, and we did the album as a benefit for them. I mean, you know, nowadays it's hard to sell albums, but any few couple of dollars are 
better than nothing, you know? <laughs> right, right. I mean, financial struggles and money matters are something that all of us artists have at one time. You know, there, there's from time to time, we'll get those jobs that, that pay a lot and we're grateful for them and we try to stash some money away. But a lot of times it's jobs that we're doing for the love of it, which it sounds like that a lot of your projects that you take on are for the love of it or because of the people that you're working with. And so those in-between times how have you found a way to to make a living while you're making your art? I, I'm very lucky. I'm very. I feel very blessed because uh, my last survival job was selling tickets on Times Square. That was my last survival job, and it was actually that that year, the month my my son was born. I'm talking, and um, it was September, a little bit before, before September, because I quit when my son was born. So uh, like at the summer of 2016, uh, after that, after my son was born, I decided I didn't want to do any other job that wasn't music related. Right. One of the things that I try to do mostly now, it's just doing commission shows. Uh, in any, any way, the, any kind of commission, I mean, sometimes you just get a few thousand dollars for a commission and you work on that project forever. I mean, that doesn't mean that, I mean, it's not, it's not really, I mean, that money versus time, it doesn't. And yeah. You know, because I've gotten paid really well and I've gotten paid not really well, but yeah. you know, it's the same amount of work. So it, it really does come down to loving what you do and that passion that you bring to it. Yeah. Because at the end, I mean, and, and this is something that, um, that I have learned from, from the best ones. I mean, you have to be passionate about what you're writing. I mean, that's the only way. Because if you're writing to have the next Broadway show, to be successful, I mean, it's not going to happen. You, you just have to be passionate about the stories you're telling. Uh, so I, I try to do everything. I mean, just commissions. I do coach, coach, um, I coach actors with uh, singing lessons, uh, workshop, master classes. Uh, I music produce like albums, arrangements, orchestrations, like like all that. I I'm just like that. Just I just say yes, and then I figure out how to do it. Jaime is such a wonderful illustration on how much we can accomplish when we approach obstacles and challenges head on. Because our lives and certainly our work as artists will never be free of hardship or even failure. But it is our willingness and our drive to keep going that will ultimately mark our level of success and achievement. And it is that determination and work ethic that leads me into this week's focus on two Hispanic icons, Emilio and Gloria Estefan. Both of these artists not only found success in their own careers, with a total of 26 Grammy Awards between them, but they have paved the way for so many contemporary Latin artists like Ricky Martin, Shakira, and Jennifer Lopez. But reaching their level of success certainly didn't come easy. Gloria Stefan came to Miami with her parents in 1959, part of a wave of immigrant exiles coming from Cuba who weren't always welcomed with open arms. I actually remember my mom walking up to a place that said, no children, no pets, no Cubans. That was, she turned around. The first music I sang ever in my life was in Spanish. My mom, my grandma. It was old Cuban music, old like my grandma's time. 
And then the songs that I sang, you know, in high school for my friends, Carole King, James Taylor, Elton John, these were the people that were influencing me. So growing up in the States with pop music and having my Cuban culture, it was very easy to blend it. It was exciting to show the public that the Latin sound, the Latin feel, the Latin movement had power and that you could promote your culture that way. I think ultimately for any artist, um, the most beautiful thing is to promote your culture. Because you do kind of stand for more than just you. In 2019, the Estefans were given the Library of Congress Gershwin Prize for Popular Song. Not only were they the first married couple to be awarded the prize, but they were also the first musicians of Hispanic descent. In an interview with Carla Hayden, the Librarian of Congress, Emilio Estefan talked about the difficulties early in their career. It was so difficult for us at the beginning of coming to, to America in a way because we came with a different sound and a different languages in a way, and the, it was hard. It was hard, but you know, one thing that I always feel proud that, you know, it, they opened the doors to us in, in such an incredible way, and they, they closed a lot of doors and said this will never work, but we believe in, in that we have so many great people in the United States, and you know, something they open a lot of doors, and the and the people decide, decide, and that way we got so many songs that became number one. In fact, Gloria Stefan has achieved 31 number one hits and has sold more than 100 million records worldwide. And Emilio was one of the founding leaders of the Latin Grammy Awards and was inducted into the Latin Songwriters Hall of Fame in 2015. I wish my mom and my dad would be alive because they, they really pushed me in a way and, and they told me one thing, do what makes you happy. And you know something, that's what I've done in my life. And do what makes me happy is was making music. I can tell you, every dream can come true as long as you dream and you do what is, uh, what is right for you. People have a lot of dreams, they don't have money, they have a di different uh, culture, and uh, they have the, the way to do and bring something totally new, and they never forget where they came from. We felt, me and Gloria, that we brought a lot of Latin America and South America to us because they support us all the, from the beginning. I know everybody that comes sometimes to this, not to this country, to any country. I mean, it's hard because you come with the different languages and you come with a different culture. But I'm going to tell you something, I, I want people to know that. This country is the best country in the whole world and they open doors and they are good people in this country. And that's what I'm so proud to call Cuban American. You know, you're blessed and we're blessed to live in a free country. So, you know, we have to work hard and we need as a community to get together to, you know, to do great things. Thank you so much for joining me on this first episode celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month. Stay tuned for a bonus episode with Jaime as we talk about his own experiences as a voting member of the Grammys and Latin Grammys. He'll also be answering the final five questions. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones. Join me next time as we talk more about why I'll never make it. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org because only together we rise. <laughs> 